The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. Sitting over there, the rustling noise you hear is Blind Boy Boat Club, the author of a new book called Topographia Hibernica. Blind Boy, how are you? Not too bad. I accidentally, um, I brought a plastic bag that didn't have holes in it and I had to impromptu make the holes here. So that's why I look a little bit strange. Well, I'm intrigued by your choice of holes because I was looking at you on a clip from the Late Late and I thought to myself, ah, Blind Boy is using his emotive holes. My holes in the Late Late were too big. (laughs) Someone pointed it. I got shamed for face cleavage. (laughs) You told me years ago that you adjusted the hole size according to the setting and that the larger the hole was, the more you were likely to be trying to be empathetic and build a relationship. If I want to... It depends where I am. Like, this, these are not empathy holes right now, Anton. No, they're very small No, holes. they're I'm tiny. But it's, but it's radio, so it's grand, so I have to use my voice. But if I'm on telly or whatever, I'll open the eye holes so that I can use my eyebrows. And then the odd time, if I'm streaming around my podcast, I have a bag made out of satin, so you can't, you can't hear the rustling. But sometimes people, I think radio is quite nice for the rustling sound. It's a little ASMR thing, especially if people are listening in their cars, you know. You used to have, in fact, I remember borrowing it from you briefly during an interview. You used to have a knitted wool version yes. that somebody had made you. That was a, a very hot. Very hot. I had a knitted wool. It was an American fella. He printed, he made, uh, he got an old Chinese knitting press and hacked it with a computer and made it make spar balaclavas. And then he sent them, <laughs> sent them in the post. Well, this is interesting because from the time at which I talked to you about various balaclavas through to now, I think it has been the most interesting shift because you went from Fight Your Father and Horse yeah. Outside and This Is Limerick and crack, and I don't mean this negatively, literally clowning. It, it, yeah, it yeah, yeah. Of clowning, to now a position where literally the front of your book, a cultural phenomenon is how you're described by the New York Times. You have millions of people listening to the podcast and the podcast does more than jokes and japes. It, it's yeah, more significant yeah. than... How has that transition been? Have you found it difficult to move into a space where you're slightly more exposed? No, like, so the thing is, is when I was working on, we'll say, telly, we'll say, with TV, then that's difficult. For me to go to, we'll say, the head of a TV station and say, I'd like to do a documentary about art. I actually care about art deeply. They will say, no, that's ridiculous. You're the fellow with the bag in his head who sings about horses. But with podcasting, I, I'm making the rules. So it's like, no, I'm just going to speak about Caravaggio now for two hours. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. And that worked. So I just went fully independent. But it is a bit strange now, to be honest. I do feel a bit silly turning up with a bag in my head now at this point. Well, that's what I'm curious about is, how how does the anonymity now work? Because I'll give you an example. This this book, which you can, I, I, you know this already, but you can seriously write. There are There are aspects of the stories in this book which are evidently drawn Mm-hmm. from personal experience or yeah, very difficult yeah. personal experience. When you therefore want to interview you, you, you sort of want to talk to the real you about those experiences and you can't because of the anonymity. I'm not really a character anymore. You know, back in the days with the early Rubber Bandit stuff, I used to, I was a comedy character as such and I'd turn up in interviews as a comedy character. But as I get older, I don't do that anymore. So I have a pen name and a pen face. That's just the way to look at it. And there's loads of authors that you'd interview. That's not their real name at all, you know? I mean, if Sting came in here, you're going to call him... <laughs> but seriously, if you're talking to Bono, you're going to start calling him Paul. No, but I'll give you the case in point. If Sting came in here, I'd be able to ask him about being a school teacher. You talked oh, recently about... <laughs> Sting was a school teacher, was he? <laughs> he was. Yeah, Go away. <laughs> he wasn't. He was, genuinely. Was. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I would have been able to ask Sting about being a school... Likewise, I could ask you about... 
college experience or school yeah, experience yeah. or anything. But that gets me into the person rather than the character. I'm just wondering, is there a point where you'll actually have to say, all right, lads, bag is off. I'm me. I'm now going to stand over this puppy. I kind of do it. I, I, to be honest, I'm like that already. It's just pen name and pen face. All I want. I'm, I'm blue in the face from saying it. Ireland's tiny. You can't. You can't be famous in Ireland. Who the? F- oh, I nearly cursed on the radio. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's early. Hold off. <clears throat> you can't be famous in Ireland. You know what I mean. I don't want to be famous in Ireland. You know yourself, Anton. You're on the radio. Like, I mean, what happens? You go and get a chicken fillet roll, and then people. There's your man on the radio buying the same roll as me. I want to rummage around the middle aisle of Aldi. That's what I'm doing. I don't want. I don't. I want to go to the middle aisle of Aldi and look for lovely outdoor gear and not have someone beside me going. Oh, I saw you on the late late there last night. Can I recommend this, by the way? Oh, is that what is that, that is a middle, middle aisle? Yeah. I don't know which middle aisle German discounter, but it's it's fur lined. It's got yeah. the hood. I recommend it. Listen, I love the, those as well. I I think it's genius. You and Sia have managed to do this thing of both having all of the aspects of fame and then being able to just disappear into the wilderness. I just wondered: is there a point where you won't be able? To? Um, I'm gonna ch- I, when that happens, I'll just quit and I'll go back to college and become a psychotherapist. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I will. Like, um, I just. Uh, I like having a quiet life and to be like, I love writing books. I love creating art. That's like that book there. I'm publishing it and people are always saying to me, I'm so happy now to have it out and all this. That's the least enjoyable part. The most enjoyable part of writing a book is that the two years, the bit in the middle, the process. And that's why I do this job. God, that's amazing because most authors, I can't remember who the quote came from. That lovely quote about, I don't like writing. I like having written. Yeah, I yeah. like a book in my hand, but the, but you enjoy the the process the of process. See, yeah. it, it's do you write physically or do you talk it out? Oh, when I'm writing, I write you typely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know a short story in that. They're they're more like little novellas because a lot of them are about ten thousand words. They take me two months a story. And what I, I have an office. I go to an office nine to five. Yeah, I, who did I take that from? Nick Cave. When Nick Cave was coming off heroin. He got an office and went in nine to five and that was his disciplined way to do art. So that's what I do. I have an There's a few like that. Owen Colfer does the same and um, Paul Howard the same. Yeah. Regimented, you, you do it as do a day job and treat it, it like out. a job. And what it does for me as well is, is I'm just, it's, it's gratitude. Like, I'm just so happy and privileged and lucky that my job happen, gets to be to write. Do you know what I mean? And to make my podcast and... I can't think of anything more I'd want to do in this life and that, that's what I do and I, I'm just gracious all the time that that's my life. How much do you have to edit? How much do you take out? With that? Oh, a lot. But like I, I had two editors with that book so I mean you're, you're right with fire in your veins and you edit with ice in your veins. So when I'm writing you can't think of the edit when you're writing because you're trying to achieve creative flow. You're try- it's like a very powerful waking daydream. So I'm kind of going mad when I'm writing and then the next day I sit down more critically with a cup of coffee and then I look at what I've written and go, right, where are the bad bits and where are the good bits and where could this be improved? So then I edit and then I send it on to a professional editor and that's someone who can be way more critical than me. And it's just a process. One of the things that's about the book that I find fascinating is there, there's, there's, there are moments in this that are really raw. There are moments that are really raw in terms of your own, I'm assuming, experience mm-hmm. put onto the page. But there's also that where you, there's, there's, there's stories about um, animal cruelty that are just awful. I mean, mm-hmm. in a literal sense, awful mm-hmm. to read, but that are, are very compelling. But then there's the moments of whimsy. There's the, the Sarsfields gannet and the yeah, hawk yeah. with the disability and all that kind of crack. There's little nuggets of that that come through. But I wonder, do you find yourself saying, I can't go too far down that line or it becomes facetious and daft? Do I have to keep cutting off that instinct? It's all about, 
just when it comes to humour, not to punch down. I mean, the thing is, is you can be very serious about so, about something without being solemn. My, my thing is, I don't like being solemn, which is a performance of seriousness. So if I can care deeply about something while still being very, very silly and, and funny, I sure look like I, I'll talk about mental health with a bag on my head, you know, and I'll speak about it with authenticity because these are my real experiences. And I, I don't have a problem doing that with a bag on my head. Because so well, how do you look back then on the stuff that isn't serious? How do you look at, at Fight Your Father or at Horse Outside? Are you proud of them now? Um, yeah. And I just say to myself, that's the thing I was doing in my 20s. That's how I look at it. Isn't that great to have done that in my 20s? But I don't want to be now approaching 40 and I'm up on stage singing about doing drugs with Eamon de Valera. You know what I mean? I just, I, you, you know what I mean? It's in the past. It's like, that's what I was doing then. And I'm just, to be honest with you, I'm so grateful that I now have like a new career and I'm an author and a podcaster and doing something different. And so I never thought that would happen. I thought I'd be just, I thought I'd be a psychotherapist. I was going to go back and be a psychotherapist. Why psychotherapy? I, tr- I trained, I half trained to be a psychotherapist in my early 20s. And then my comedy career took off and I left it. But I just... But even in your 20s, why did you want to? Because I had such horrendously bad mental health issues with anxiety and depression, right? Uh, in about the age of 19 and 20. And then I went to free counselling in college when I was in art college and I went through about two years of counselling and those two years completely changed my life. You know what I mean? It, honest to God, like, I mean, I went from someone who was complete agoraphobic, couldn't leave the house to a completely confident, functioning young man, you know? Uh, and and psychotherapy did that for me like it's it's not for everybody everybody's different but it worked for me and it transformed me so much that about the age of 22 I was like I, I need to be able to do this for other people I, I want to learn how to become a psychotherapist and to help someone else the way that I I have been helped so I tried it for a couple of years and then it, one of the consequences then of going to psychotherapy and becoming a, a confident person was I was making music in my bedroom and I was writing and that took off and got me a professional comedy career, you know what I mean? So I was left with a choice. Finish your qualification in psychology or go on to TV and become a clown. And I went with clown. Can but I ask about the clowning and, and that career? To what extent, if at all, is any of that planned? Because when I look at the, the, the strings to your bow, whether it's the music, whether it's the comedy, whether it's the writing, whether it's Twitch streaming, whether mm-hmm. it's the podcasting... I get the sense that you cast an awful lot of bread upon the water and yeah. maybe some of it works and some of it doesn't. Or is it thought out? Do you say this leads to that? So or it's strategic. I, I actively try and have a healthy attitude towards failure. What will stop anyone creating anything is the fear of failing. So what I do is I, I look at my, I don't care if I fail. No, not even I don't care if I fail. You must fail if you're to succeed. You have to. So I have tremendous failures. Oh my God. You know, I, I, I once had, uh, I had two seasons of a TV show on MTV USA that was so bad it got cancelled after one episode. You can't even find out about it on Google. I, I wasn't touched in TV for like a year. You know, when, you, when, when, when a failure is so bad that you become toxic in the industry almost. You know what I mean? So I had that. So when you fail as hard as that, I, I'm not scared of failure. So I just try everything. And the worst that can happen is people don't like it. That's the worst that can happen. So I, I do everything and anything. That's what I always do. And I follow my passions. Is, is, it, is it different when it's something like a book? It's one thing when you say I did a TV show, I gave it a shot. They're, they're slightly more ephemeral. There's something about this is my baby. This is two years of my life. Please love it. So that's my third book, right? So my first book, 
I do, I love my first book collection of short stories, but I'm very much someone who's, I'm, I'm someone who's coming from writing television going, now I'm going to have a crack at writing books. And my first collection of short stories, they work very much as TV scripts. They're like little elevator pitches. But this one here, book number three, now I'm, I'm an author now. I'm, I'm writing exclusively. For, this is intended to be read on the page and this is, it's, it's a different vibe. It's progression. And it, I mean, genuine, like it, it, people... A failure. My last book got hammered in the reviews, you know? Well, this one, there's, I mean it literally, it is striking. It's one of those where you you read certain aspects, you're not so you read some of the stories within this and go, that's not one. In some cases, for, for reasons of it being a difficult read, in some reasons because it's, it's a, a moving read, but it's not stuff you will forget quickly, having mm-hmm. read it. Very important thing before we wrap up. Text to say, Sting got his name because he used to wear a black and yellow striped jumper and his <laughs> students called him Sting because he looked like a bee. That's like, there's a fat in Limerick, right? And he, there's a fat in Limerick and he came out of a shop uh, with, uh, what was it, four pairs of jeans and people started calling him Spider. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been worth it for that alone. The new book is uh, Topography. <laughs> Let me tell you that again. You say it, you wrote it. Topographia Hibernica. Thank you very much. That's the title of the book. The author is Blind Boy Boat Club. It is recommended, obviously, by me, but also by the Irish Times, the Irish Indo, the New York Times. It is getting fabulous reviews. Best of luck with it. I hope it goes very well. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.